Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Vish and Creative Control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Vish's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, Uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, so he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like, what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Hansen is a gifted musician based in Los Angeles, California. A member of the band Wand, Hansen is also a solo artist whose wonderful second album will be released on April 16th, 2021 by Drag City Records. It's called Pale Horse Rider and it prompted Corey and I 
have a wonderful conversation about time he's spent living in California and New York, the pervasiveness of the term bodega in contemporary times, the health of DIY art spaces in Los Angeles, and waves of gentrification, how a pandemic suits the natural rhythms of a touring musician, those Las Vegas nights, the humor and public postures of Neil Young and Bob Dylan, what it was like working with Bonnie Prince Billy and Bill Callahan on a song, songwriting tutelage he received from the late David Berman and David's influence on his new album, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control and Massey Hall's concert film series live at masseyhall.com where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free including performances by past podcast guests like Andy Schaff plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 608th episode of Creative Control featuring the lovely and talented Corey Hansen with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Corey, how's it going? Hey, Vish. How's it going? I'm well. I'm well. It's nice to uh, speak with you. Uh, where in the world are you today? I am in the San Gabriel Valley. It's so near Pasadena and probably 10 miles northeast of downtown Los Angeles. I see. That is very specific. You are so specific with your geographic... <laughs> Pinpointing. I really appreciate that. Uh, is this an area you know well? Is this an area you've lived in a long time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've lived here my whole life. This is my zone. I see. It's, I see. Yeah. Never had the urge to, to, to try out another place? Have you ever lived anywhere else? I have attempted to live in New York, uh, <laughs> in Brooklyn, in 2011, once I graduated college. But I ultimately came back with my tail between my legs. Mm. Haven't had the urge or the, felt the need to fly away too far from my nest. Um, <laughs> as, a, as a touring professional or a newly retired touring professional, <laughs> yes, I you know have not really felt the need to uh, be anywhere because I've you know been all over the place and as a part of my job, it's kind of nice to just come home to some place that's very familiar. Right. Now, were you attending university or college in uh, in New York? Is that why you mentioned that? No, no. I went to uh, California Institute of the Arts in Santa Clarita. Oh, I see. So you just you were just like you graduated and you're like, "Ah, eh, I'll just I've been in California my whole life. I'm going to try New York." That that was it? Yeah, I had a bunch of friends out there and knew some promoters and I wanted to go out and do music and figure out how to have a music career. I just had no idea mm. uh, where to start with that. And ultimately, I, I ended up living at a venue that's still a venue today. 
the Market Hotel. Hmm. I lived there above uh, Mr. Kiwi's, and uh, it was a really great place. I mean, there was a lot of cool people living around there. Uh, around the corner was the Wallet, where a couple friends of mine, Andy and Edwin from the band Tone Starts Bandit, mm-hmm. great Canadian band. <laughs> uh, they, among many, Thank legendary you. band. Thank you for the shout out for the for my country. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. There will be there will be a lot of Canadian Canada compliments in this in this uh, interview. So we uh, here in Canada, uh, the radio, uh, the broadcasting and radio regulations uh, people, they refer to it as uh, Canadian content is CanCon. So already we've we've struck upon some CanCon during this conversation. It's CanCon Con. Oh, yeah. It's Canadian content <laughs> conversation. It's CanCon Con. It's almost. Yeah. It sounds like a dance you would do. Uh, so that's nice. That's very <laughs> do nice. Do the CanCon. CanCon Con. Yeah. So by the way, before we go too much further, you mentioned something called Mister Kiwis. That sounds intriguing. That sounds festive. It sounds sweet. Maybe a little bitter. What was Mister Kiwis? Well, you know, it was all of those things uh, combined. <laughs> it it was a fantastic. Bushwick Oasis on Myrtle Broadway that just happened to be downstairs. Their doors have always been open. They will always be open. And the reason why is because they have no doors. Oh. Yeah. It's a ven- is, it so, a ve- is it a venue? No, it's it's a bodega. Oh, it's I'm sorry. It's a bodega okay. with like, uh, it's a Korean-owned bodega that um, this family has had I I don't know how long but it seems like forever and they just had really good produce hmm. really great juice juice man and a lot of really good vegan snacks and you know mochi and yeah good stuff anyway yeah okay so it was great it was a, that it was right beneath my house so this so. this term by the way and I don't mean to go off on a too much of a tangent here bodega seems to be pervading the the lexicon the common usage of bodega because here in Canada we have convenience stores uh, that serve the same purpose maybe you would say a smaller uh, some of them like I, I get the bodega's got the groceries right it's not just a it's not just your cigarettes and your soda pop it's got all sorts of different things but bodegas do you have bodegas in California do, do all Americans refer to like the little corner store as a bodega or is there a distinction that you're aware of as far as I know, bodegas do not naturally exist <laughs> in Southern California. I see. I always thought bodega was more of an East Coast term for corner store slash deli yeah. slash grocery slash liquor. Like you could just go and to the bodega, get a sandwich, get a beer, buy some loose cigarettes or whatever. It's like a, is it a New York thing? Like you're saying, in Cal- so it's not American. In California, you don't, if you said to someone in California, I'm going to the bodega, they'd say, what time's your flight? Like they, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. Is that, is that what you're saying? I th- they, they, no, they'd know what I was talking about, but they'd kind of be like, huh. They, <laughs> you know, they, they would, it would, they would maybe stop and, uh, and be like, why did you? Why would you call it that? I think that it, it if there are bodegas, it's like a term of, of, uh, a symptom of gentrification. Ah, yes. Of the, there you go. Because there's been such, in the last five to ten years, such a huge influx of people fleeing the East Coast and the cold 
and uh, and the city mm. and moving you know comfortably into nestling into you know the northeast region of Los Angeles um, yeah. there's been more of that kind of stuff popping up because of the familiarity it Right, know, right. It's like being back back home or something. Okay, know. so you you end up in New York. I mean, were people in California like, why would you live in New York? The weather, the the popular, you know, this because it feels uh, anyway. From I've never, I, I've I've admitted this on the show a few times before. I've never actually been to California. Somehow, uh, I've traveled oh. all, uh, around a lot of America, but somehow just haven't made it all the way to California. And I like aspects of California and I want to, well, I don't know if I'll ever get to now, but I wanted to visit it. I've wanted to visit it for some time, but I, New York, I know kind of well, cause I've been there many times, uh, for with touring with bands or, or traveling and whatnot. So I like New York, but, uh, and, and I, I, I have like New York pride, even though I'm not a New Yorker, it's like East coast pride, uh, in the hardiness, the cold, the weather, the kind of being stifled by all the humanity, but is California a bit more spread out? It's a little more chill. That's the that's the perception anyway. But I don't think there's actually... Is it less people or does it just feel like less population density? You know what I mean? Did you feel more claustrophobic in New York as a, uh, in, in comparison to California? I did, but I, I also appreciate the sense of anonymity in New York. I think that's the one of the coolest things about it is that you can just walk in a sea of people and hmm. it feels really... I like po- very densely populated places. Like I love when people are all packed. I mean, I I play shows for a living, so my yeah. my dopamine receptors are they get released when I see lots of people packed into a space because that means that I'm it's going to be a good show, you know. <laughs> right. Right. So so uh I think that it kind of calms me down. When I was living there, I would always take the train. It sounds so cheesy, but I just love yeah. touristy places. I would just go to Times Square and hang out in Times Square. Oh. Um, and, you know, kind of go to all the the naughty places that nobody in New York really <laughs> wants to go. Or the, yeah. the funny thing was nobody in California, because nothing was happening in Los Angeles. That's the reason I moved was because there was no scene at the time there had been just been a huge wave of bands uh that had kind of crested that that was like me growing up in Los Angeles and, and in Los Angeles County and going to shows at the Smell you know seeing No Age and Health and Liars and hmm. uh Mika Miko and like all of these um super LA you know really great bands and a really great scene yeah. An all ages DIY scene that I still think is, you know, I'm so glad that that was able to happen, and I hope that it can happen again. But it, it's uh, the world's a very different place now. Well, yes, uh, especially after the ghost ship fire. Oh yeah, there was that too. Yeah, did that have a? I mean, we all heard about that, and it was an absolute tragedy. Uh, did that have a massive ripple effect on how the? music community sort of behaved after that? Did it really put a damper on people even wanting to do stuff? I think that it just gave the green light to Vice and, like, Vice being police to just raid spaces, find, you know, illegal stuff, bring the fire marshal in. Everybody started to close. Everybody got the fire marshal called. Like, all the great L.A. DIY spaces just 
were erased. It was gone. They were gone. Yeah, they look for those opportunities to shut down uh, underground or DIY spaces. Uh, I just moved uh, relatively recently anyway. It's, well, it's been about a year and a bit now, but I used to live in Ontario, relatively close to Toronto, and Toronto uh, is just every couple of, well, since the pandemic, it's even gone up more. But we used to get reports of venues, DIY venues in particular, being shut down, and that uh, was running rampant. Or or the buildings that the rooms were in were being destroyed and condominiums were going up uh, or some form of gentrification was occurring. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that seems to be running rampant uh, across this continent anyway, based on what you're saying. There's just not anywhere to play if you're coming up, it sounds like, uh, where you're at right now. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that the the wave of gentrification really pushed all the DIY spaces away from the cities, away from the more pop- densely populated regions of Los Angeles where public transportation makes it, you know, easy to get around. Yeah. And put more emphasis on, you know, the uh Live Nation owned venues and like the the corporate run venues who are m- like mostly 18 and up or 21 and up. And uh the smell is still a thing, you know, the smell still exists, yeah. which is so amazing that they, because they've been dodging eviction for years and it seemed like it was going to be over, you know, probably like four years ago, we were like, oh, this is like the end, but they've they've made it through. And I think that's great because it's just so great to have a space that is... uh all ages has no alcohol is just about seeing music yeah. and like having a scene. Yeah. Um, that sounds, that sounds ideal. That's my, as the kids say, that's my jam right there. What you're talking about, you know, <laughs> as a non drinker, I just want to go see the music and, uh, you know, not have to deal with the bar as a promoter or whatever. You know, that was always when you'd put on shows at bars, you'd have to make sure the bar was happy, you know, make sure the bar was selling their booze. You know, and it, right. for me, it was just like I had to care about that on the one hand, but I also did not give a shit. I just wanted to get my friends or the bands I like to, you know, have a nice show. And so what you're describing is is ideal. And you mentioned that you're a touring musician. Uh, there's not really a great need for you to have a home base in that regard, or there wasn't until uh, this lockdown. I assume you have been pretty locked down uh since the pandemic began you've been staying put is that fair 100 uh 95 percent <laughs> oh okay. i've I've, you, you... I've made a couple covid safe trips but other than camping and doing stuff like that i have been 100 percent locked down right so as someone who keeps themselves as mobile as possible for work uh how has this past year and a bit uh, been for you are there any bright spots or has it all been what the hell is going on like <laughs> what, how would you how would you characterize this uh what's it been now 13 months as we're speaking 14 months almost right. uh, how would you characterize it well i mean when lockdown happened i had just flown back from mexico city where wand played our last show pre-pandemic at normal festival and just you know had a uh, a whirlwind like four days of 
a pretty extreme uh, partying in, in Mexico City that was really fun and just, you know, eating whatever we want. I ate whatever I wanted and just had, you know, a lot of really good Oaxacan food, like traditional Oaxacan food. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. and then came home and I was like, oh, this is lockdown? Okay, this is this is fine. <laughs> I don't really want to <laughs> go anywhere. I think I've been touring ha- at least half the year for the last almost eight years. Yeah. And so it's made me realize a lot of different things about my personality that need, that require raw time, that can't have my life subdivided by, you know, touring schedules and recording schedules and writing schedules and interview schedules and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's almost like I've gotten to get reacquainted with parts of myself that I haven't really known since I was like a, a kid in college, you know, or, or in art school. Yeah. yeah. Where I really didn't have anything going on. And I was just trying to figure my shit out. And that part has been really great, especially creatively. It, you know, it sucks not being able to tour, but when you tour at that frequency, it's hard to really make sense of what's happening uh, in terms of quality. Like, is this, is the quality of all these decisions like pretty uniform? You know, do we really need to do this second leg of this tour where we hit all these cities again? Or, you know, should we just really try to make an impact when we feel impactful? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. I've been uh, contemplating the the life of a touring musician a little bit in relation to uh, all of this lockdown and the lack of, you know, live shows. Because in a weird way, in my memories of being a touring person, like you're you're moving around the country, whatever country you're in, you're moving, but you're kind of still because you're sitting in a van and or a car or whatever it is, a bus. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, it's a bus. But you're just sitting there in motion, not really being able to do anything. Lots of time to think and maybe catch up on things in theory if you're... If you can, you know, calibrate your brain and your body to not be so exhausted <laughs> from what you're doing, you can actually finish things in theory. And then mm-hmm. in the evening, by early evening, all the manic activity begins, the sound checking, the the playing, all that stuff. And then you do it every day. So there's this weird cycle of what I would describe a kind of movement, but stillness and then just manic activity and then again and again and again. So I was just trying to figure out, I was thinking about it, like, is there any way a touring musician used to all that time to themselves might be better suited for this time of isolation that we're going through? Like, you're not doing, oh my the, God. You're not doing the touring, you're not moving anywhere, so it, there's that monotony, but at the same time, you're, there's a little bit of built-in monotony to touring life, isn't there? Oh, there's a huge amount of monotony. It is entirely the same, and there is nobody... No no group of working people that I can think of, no workforce better equipped to just kill time. Just, yeah. just like yeah. fill, if there was a gun that you could fill with time, they would just shoot it into the sky. Like that's, <laughs> that's what we do. We just like have, and, and really just kill time in ways that are 
meditative in a way. Yeah, I would. I would, I, I almost think because most of the time that I'm killing time, I'm just staring out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting occupation, uh, mostly because of the way that it's perceived as being very uh, exotic and adventurous and like travel intensive and also romantic yeah and then they forget how much of it is dictated by driving schedules bowel movements <laughs> yeah. sleeping schedules yeah yeah stuff like that yeah it's all it's all very bodily and like fluid oriented <laughs> <laughs> it is it is absolutely so so i guess you're saying you you kind of would agree on the one hand that you might be pretty well suited to deal with this stillness that we're all going through. Oh yeah, I can kill time like no like nobody else. <laughs> I can I can just sit and stare at the sky. Yeah. Uh it's like yeah, my friend Kyle Thomas, King Tough. He plays in Oh yeah, yeah. Or he is King King Tough. Yeah. I'll I'll call him and be like, "Kyle, what have you been doing?" And he just says, "Just staring at the sky." <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, on the one hand, kind of nice. Kind of nice to be able to have the time <laughs> to stare at the sky and not have to worry about anything, I guess. But I need that time. Yeah, but then the flip side is, as creative people, you want to be constantly making things. So have you been able to do work? Have you been able to write or make music by yourself or with anyone, I don't know, remotely or in a you know, socially distanced, safe way? Uh, during, since the lockdown began, have you been busy in that regard? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've been busy. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on now. It kind of was very slow for about eight months of the pandemic, and then uh, around the fall time when when Pale Horse Rider got announced in well, I guess that was the winter time. Yeah, a little bit before then, that's when things really picked up, mm-hmm. and it's been really nice to have the time to devote to just what making whatever because when I'm home when I have time at home I just work on music every day yeah. uh, without really trying to du- like f- directly focus on you know certain things until they're until or certain projects until they become well shaped and formed and then can be you know executed or edited or whatever yeah, yeah. but when I when I'm just putting my feelers out, you know, using intuition and trying different things, trying new things and exploring stuff, it's it's so great to have just raw time to do that yeah. and only that. Yeah. Yeah. Well I will I, I, I wanna tell you that I really, really love Pale Horse Rider. Wonderful record. And I I wonder when you made it exactly. Did you make it? Or I assume you might have done some well no, I'm not gonna assume anything when did you make this record exactly can you speak to that i recorded it in december of 2019 ah okay just ahead of the stillness and the uh, lockdown oh yeah 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 okay so the songs uh, that we are hearing are not informed by any of the experience you've had or we've had since then uh and i also want to point out like so this is your second solo album i believe yes yep yes so if it wasn't the pandemic that was separating you from your friends in wand what clicks the switch for you to think i gotta make a solo record now i'm not gonna make a 
a record with the band. Uh, do you know? Do, do you have a sense of that? Like, what? Why? Why did you want to pursue uh, the work that we now have uh, in our possession with Pale Horse Writer on your own, under your own name? Well, I always wanted to make my own records. I wanted to, uh, even after Unborn Capitalist from Limbo, I immediately started working on a follow-up, but it did get kind of swallowed into the sort of force that Wand became in my life. And yeah. uh, in terms of a writing, you know, five-person writing unit, I think that was just a really exciting discovery that we could all, because we had been touring so much and cutting our teeth and stuff, <laughs> like we... Yeah. We yeah. we just, you know, started to not have to talk as much about what we were doing and just play and listen to each other. And and that was sort of how Laughing Matter came about, was just doing that for months, playing, yeah. jamming. And so I started to feel really comfortable because when you're in a five-person unit, you can... You don't have to really address your weaknesses. You can really lean into your strengths. And my strengths are you know, guitar, writing, arranging, editing, uh, and splitting lyrical duties with uh, Evan Burroughs, the drummer in Wand. Yeah. And so, you know, we could both, because he's a really amazing writer, and so we could bounce ideas off of each other. Then after, like, overkill touring on that record, I think we were all so burned out. We were out for, like, eight months yeah. And it was too much, and the band needed a, a break. So 2020, coincidentally, was the year that Wand took off from touring. Oh, you were going to so, be off anyway. I see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if luck should have it, we didn't have to cancel a single show. Right. Okay. So you, you knew that by December of 2019, that you're going to have a year uh, kind of to yourself, so to speak. Uh, or you thought you were going to have a year to yourself. So you be- did you say you finished recording in December of 2019? Yeah. Right. So it was done? Wow, okay. Interesting. It's funny. You know, we're not hearing it uh, until 2021, obviously. Just checking. Oh, my- yeah. Yeah, it takes a while to get things done. Uh, did you have a particular uh, approach uh, in mind for Pale Horse Rider as it related to your previous solo record or even stuff you were doing in wand uh was there something you wanted to try to explore that you hadn't yet or potentially even fine-tune based on stuff you've made uh, before i mean i gave myself a lot of time a lot of time you know in between unborn capitalists and and pale horse rider to figure out some kind of internal conflicts i was having about the idea of just being a songwriter in general and what that meant to me and what I bring to that tradition. Yeah. And I think that with Unborn Capitalists, the reason that record got made is because we had made those first three wand records, which are pretty heavy and fuzzy and loud. And we were touring, you know, with these huge stacks of amps and it was just so loud and it was such a spectacle, like sonic spectacle, that I started to feel really disoriented like I couldn't tell if people were enjoying the songs or if it was more about just the spec, the sonic thing that was happening, because um, that was also a big thing at that time 
was just having a billion amps on stage and making something super loud yeah. and he- heavy. Yeah. So that record I was I just was like what what do I do like how do I what is my melodic sensibility like what what resonates with me musically and then it just you know turned into this acoustic kind of folky record with Pale Horse Rider it's kind of the same thing I was playing you know with Juan for in this five piece configuration for so yeah. long I started to think well how like can I even make records by myself anymore can I can I address these kinds of these parts of myself that I haven't been addressing for a long time or will it just seem like a fragment I'm not looking to make like a David Gilmore solo record I want to make like a Phil Collins solo record if you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> I want to feel like my own planet <laughs> yeah um, I get it I get it yeah so it was kind of like that I don't know I it took a long time and it kind of took me coming back to country music and thinking about country music as a framework or like country western music uh as a framework for for how to approach this record yeah i was gonna gonna ask about that and i'm sorry to cut you off when you were about to talk about the lyrics because i do want to talk about that too um because well actually yeah sorry two things i want to say but let's get to the lyrics now because i do you're talking about reflecting upon your process and the way you work and why you work the way you work. I hear that, and that's reflected in the sound of uh, this particular record. But lyrically, are you also reflecting upon something in particular, something about you and your past, about Los- about California? I mean, and also, like, within that, there's lots of very understated humor in what you're saying, I find, uh, and very uh, like fun with language, even just stretching out psychoanalyst you know i hear i heard your phrasing there and i was like that's that just sounds like fun just to say psychoanalyst (laughs) in this weird way and then you rhyme it with you talk about how your car got egged by the psychoanalyst and now they're your nemesis that's funny like i chuckle when i hear that is that meant am i wrong to chuckle am i like a am i laughing at a funeral should i not be doing this (laughs) you could could do whatever you want okay just making sure (laughs) Just making sure. Yeah. But all this to say, are you reflecting? Let's get to the lyrics then. Are, do you feel like overall you're kind of reflecting upon a time in your life as well or anything in particular? Um, not any more than I have with my other records. And But de- I will say about the lyrics, I wanted to move my focus, oh, shift my focus away from arrangements and stuff like that and chord progressions and sonics and uh, just let the lyrics kind of dictate those things. Right. Dictate the space and the, you know, uh, musical arrangement and stuff like that. And to do that, I sort of had to figure out how to, like I said, like what my songwriter identity was. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing from my writing that has always had a hard time being articulated is my sense of humor. Yeah, which yeah is very much a part of I'd say probably more developed than any other part of me even musically. <laughs> uh, you know, just from being a kid and like having no interest in music but having a an interest in being funny or or sharing jokes with people or laughing and stuff. Being a class clown, which I was. Yeah. 
that yeah that just came out of having to really like figure out what my instincts were with writing which I've never really been able to sit down and do and just write every single day for long periods of time and just sort of like writing can be such a chore when it's forced yeah it can be really uh like pulling teeth when you don't really have a sense of it's like doing anything else um when your baseline is is weak or not weak but just like you know it's like bowling if you don't bowl you go and bowl and it's fun but you're gonna like maybe get a strike and be like how did i do that and then you're gonna (laughs) bowl again and it's gonna be gutter ball gutter ball gutter ball gutter ball and you're gonna you know the strike doesn't even matter at that point so but if you go bowl every day then your baseline will be raised and all of a sudden you're getting you know mostly strikes and that's sort of what i wanted that is what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted to only get strikes. <laughs> Did somebody send you video of me bowling by chance? Because you're describing me to a T. I, I don't know how to bowl. <laughs> no one's ever taught me to bowl. But every time I go bowling, I get a bunch of strikes. But then I also will screw up. And then I'm like, yeah, that checks out. I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I doing well? I shouldn't be doing well. I don't know how to do this. Then I do well. And then, as I say, then I don't do well. And I'm like, yeah, that seems more like it. So I feel like maybe you're spying on me. Have you been? Have we bowled together or something? Like you're describing me to a T somehow. But I think you're you're oh. you're right about skill sets, sort of being within and without, beyond and within your control. I think that's kind of what you're maybe talking about a little bit. It's easy to take the gutter balls personally if you've gotten a strike. You know? Yes, it's true. Because then you're yeah. like, why am I getting gutters? I just got a strike. I just showed everybody here that I'm good at this, and now I'm humiliating myself. And the humiliation is worse because I did well before. Well, um, bowling's weird. I just saw a pretty funny tweet by someone that said, uh, you should be able to play defense in bowling. And I think that's that's funny. <laughs> you should. You should have to deke around <laughs> someone, dodge, you know, you got to dodge someone to even get that approach shot. Because to your point, I think it's there's a lot of luck involved in most sports, frankly. You know, when they're like, oh my God, did you see that basket? That person hit at the last second, it bounced, it hit the net, it hit the rim like 18 times and then went in. Yeah, you're kind of underselling at that point. That's just luck and gravity, really. Like it seems to me if it hit 18 times, that's not skill. And so when I go casual bowling like once or twice a year and I do well, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Do I have to join a league now? Is my life permanently altered? I didn't want to be good at this. I just went for fun. So I'm not saying I'm Mr. Yeah. Perfect here. I screw things up. But I'm just saying there's a lot of luck in our skill somehow, don't you think? Like in our ability to get... It's like when you do a take of a song and maybe it's your second time through after having some long discussion about it amongst yourselves and then you're like, yeah. That was it. We don't have to do that again. Like, it's perfect. I don't know why. Just there was the, that moment in time. Perfect. You must have that experience, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that you're just tapping into a wavelength that is crucial to bowling well. Whatever you're doing, <laughs> what, however your brain works, like you might just have a more developed you know, like alpha sensitivity or something. Like yeah. you're, you're getting right into that alpha zone. Yeah. And that's where you need to be, you know, where time kind of slows down and you can appreciate every the, the sights and smells of the alley. You're, you know you're there just for fun. It doesn't matter if you perform well. Yeah. You know, 
like that kind of stuff. I think that that always lend that's the the headspace you want to be, and it's easier to get into that that deep focus when you raise your your baseline <laughs> to <laughs> you know when you just do that every day. Sometimes yeah. it's also to the detriment because you become so focused on performing well that you lose sight of all the good stuff which is which is which makes it enjoyable to begin with and that happens in the studio a lot well i think we 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 really value and appreciate the flukes in our life you know the things that you don't do as much that you do okay at uh that come to you easily and then the thing you spend i find that all the time i'll put a lot of effort into one thing and the thing i put the least amount of effort into is the thing that in if it's a public thing that's the thing that resonates I always find that we spend like I spend, you know, weeks and weeks preparing something and then something I do off the cuff does well. And you're like, well, what? Like in terms of, you know, whatever response, you're like, ah, I don't know. I, what am I doing? Like, uh, what is the right answer here? You know, if if what is the measure of success? Like, do I want to be fulfilled from weeks and weeks of worth work rather? Or is the thing I spent one minute thinking about that everyone's excited about? Like, is that what I should be doing? You know, like it's confusing uh, in the. To, to make things in the public sphere, don't you find? Oh, yeah. I, I will say this. I think that watching and, and, and listening to audiences and, and, and getting feedback on records or whatever, it's all, people re- tend to marvel or, or just they, they tend to have a peak interest when a performer or a public figure or somebody does something and makes it look incredibly like 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 it's nothing yeah like it like they're just it's the easiest thing to them and so yeah. whatever thing that you did that was off the cuff you know it's it's going to have less baggage than something that you labored over and i i've i've done you know i've noticed this like approaching uh promoting records where if i talk about like man that record was so hard and it took months and we had to remix it like this many times. Mm-hmm. And like I was freaking out about every little nuance of, you know, guitar, no- like noise that was coming off of my pickups and had to, you know, do all this stuff. Like that kind of neuroses only works for a couple bands, you know, like Steely Dan. Yeah. Or- Radiohead, <laughs> yeah, bands yeah. where oh. the whole story is about it was hard and it was terrible and you know, but for most people it's yeah they like, I feel like people tend to like it when things are are pretty easy and fun. Well, that's true. It's a little bit of emotional manipulation, even. Oh, this was so hard. I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> I hope you appreciate the work we put into this because it wasn't easy. Oh, okay, I'll give it a really close listen then. You know, as opposed to the person's like, ah, I spent. Three hours making that album. Here you go. Well, I mean, clearly this sounds like three hours. Yeah, it's weird how we color, uh, you know, the stuff we make to uh, people outside of that experience, you know? Like that's, you know, I guess we're getting into sort of marketing promotion and what works and what doesn't work a little bit, which is what it is on some level. I mean, you, I I mentioned a couple of lyrics from the song uh, Angelus that uh, stuck out for me as being funny, even though the song... Uh, doesn't have the pacing of something that is like a laugh riot. There's this humor there. Are there other, any other instances on the record where you're like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I kind of, I'm kind of happy with uh, how that turned out. That's kind of fun. You know, is there anything else that uh, you want to highlight? I'm just curious. I think there's a lot of 
little moments of that. Uh, there's a lot of imagery in the record that just pops straight out of my head. I don't really know why or how that works, mm. but uh, uh, yeah, like off the top of my head, humorous moments on Pale Horse Rider. Uh, <laughs> don't mean to put you on the spot. Like even the title track is a nice, it's not a double entendre, but it has a double meaning because I'm like, Oh, it's uh, someone riding a white horse. No, it's a white person riding a horse. Like, there's just like a little fun with language there, you know, and I appreciate stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I definitely have a, a knack for or an interest in, in wordplay, and I like things that are kind of low brow uh, or mid brow. <laughs> <laughs> and pun, puns are one of those things where I I always say this to people because I always do very stupid puns and uh, I always tell people like oh yeah the pun is the lowest form of uh, humor. <laughs> oh, I love and, puns. Puns are my favorite. I love puns. I like I like doing them. They're fun. Yeah, and I I think that they're just a great way to dislocate different meaning, like make recombinant meanings that yeah. Yeah. can take certain things that, and they're glued together by uh, humor or absurdity or or double meanings or things and you can kind of think you can kind of spin the word around each word individually and look at them from from different places that you wouldn't normally be able to or different contexts yeah like we were talking about bowling earlier and you have a song called Vegas Nights uh, and Knights is spelled like a knight, like a knight in shining armor. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, are you a hockey person? Do you like hockey? You know, I, I'm i sorry, but I, I don't watch hockey. No, you don't. I don't, really watch I don't, I don't like hockey. I play it sometimes. <laughs> I don't like watching it. But I believe, and I'm not up on, there's lots of expansion teams. Isn't the NHL team from Vegas called the Las Vegas Knights? The Golden Knights. Oh, is it the Golden Knights? Oh, okay. But are they from yeah. Las Vegas? Yes. So it's Vegas Nights. I'm, I'm not totally wrong here. It has nothing to do with no. this, does it? This song has nothing to do with <laughs> sticks and pucks and ice, is what you're saying. No, it, it, no I, I wouldn't rule that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, just won't say that, I just won't say that it is about that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. This is not meant to be an, uh, an investigation per se. You, know, you, you, you don't need a lawyer present to answer any of these questions. That's fair. <laughs> totally fair. I, uh, what I was going to say, or, or sorry, were you going to finish your thought there? I didn't mean to cut you off with the hockey talk. Oh, no, no, please. Okay. Just, just, just bring on the in. hockey talk. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hockey talk woman. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's more of a can con, more can con con, more Canadian content with the hockey. <laughs> yeah. No, I, one of the things I was going to ask you about earlier was the sound of this particular record and you'd invoked country and Western music. And I wonder if you have a relationship or an affinity for, uh, music by I don't know the birds or you know late sixties Bob Dylan because on the song Pale Horse Rider there's kind of a pre-chorus part and every time I hear it I think oh that's uh that's you ain't going nowhere by Bob Dylan but then I listen to it again I think no wait that's uh, you ain't going nowhere by the birds it's a little different do you have do you have any connection to any of the people I just mentioned or even the songs I just mentioned. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, that was that. Yeah, those records are huge for me. Um, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, these kinds of things. Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Yeah. You ain't going nowhere. That whole record. I mean, it's just uh, and Graham Parsons, yeah. uh, the Grievous Angel, and his first record as well. Yeah, those those records were are are real big for me, and I think 
they yeah i was i was definitely listening to grievous angel while working on the record and just thinking about uh his story we recorded the record in joshua tree oh nice yeah that's right not, yeah. yeah not far away from where he you know passed away from yeah. heroin so the record does have for me that kind of like desert desert romance the vegas nights fits into that too because i i'm a huge fan of vegas it's hmm. it's a i really love the image of just this empty black space with these mountains that kind of you know turn into this little valley that is just this beam of golden light yeah you know that just shoots off in all directions but ultimately just turns into darkness on all sides i i really love that uh image and so yeah, there's a lot of desert romance going on in this record, right? And that's informed as uh, that informs the sound of it as much as uh, maybe your approach to even singing. Like some of it, I I was trying to put my finger on it a little bit about where you're coming from with this in relation to Wand, and I feel like that what I what we're both kind of getting at the the references we're making. I think that's definitely by the sounds of it, you're confirming that that's present on this record for sure. Oh yeah. Okay, just making sure. Again, no lawyer needed. These are these are meant to be benign questions, just gentle, <laughs> gentle questions. So, well, it is a gorgeous record, as I say. I I love it. Uh, do you? What do you do? You made a record. It's going to come out. It's been delayed. Uh, its release date was delayed uh, due to various things. I think. Or do you want to speak to that? I know there's been some vinyl pressing plant issues, among other things. Uh, is there any other reason why uh, we, we're the, the record's been pushed back a little bit? Yeah, it just felt like it needed a little more time, you know? No, I didn't <laughs> I didn't push it back <laughs> okay. personally. But uh, I, I didn't have a hand in that, but it is what it is, ultimately, releasing a record in the days of COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, the, the hopefully, you know, the dusk of COVID-19 right now. Yeah. We'll see. But uh, yeah, it just, there, there was some production delays that, were all interlinked, you know, they, one affected the other. One plant got COVID and that caused the other plant to stop production and et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So it's not, it's sort of a business oriented situation and hopefully everyone is okay and, and work can be done safely, of course. Uh, And the look of the album, like the cover art fascinates me because on the one hand you have this, I guess it's like a gold sort of, is it gold? Is it meant to be gold? That sort of background image? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of like watched the throne. And then in the middle, <laughs> just like a house scene, like someone on a porch or something. I can't tell. It's a bit tiny on my screen here. But what's how, what's going on on the cover of this record? Well, the cover is a photo of me uh, coming out of the, like standing in the doorway of the house where we recorded the record. And then it's framed by this... Uh, gold foil yes that uh my my friend justin gallego put together he laid out and did the art for that record and the photo was shot by zach hernandez who engineered the record is there is there a suitcase in the foreground uh a suitcase i don't think so i think it's just the, the patio uh in landers california this house my friend brian's house which he he calls Cactopia yes. because it's full of these massive psychotropic 
cacti. Oh, okay. That, that are, you know, like seven or eight feet tall, have a lot of personality. I'm telling um, you, there's there's something in the foreground here. I've asked my computer to ha- enhance the image, and there's something <laughs> at the foot of the of the walkway, and if I were to make an educated guess, as I have earlier, it would be a suitcase. It's, it seems to be an arrival or a departure. Uh, maybe it's a... Maybe it's something else, but maybe it's just a shadow, actually. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting kind of X-Files on you with the cover art, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to suggest any kind of conspiracies at play, but it's a striking image, with the, particularly with the gold uh, around it. Is there, what, did, what does all this say to you? If you could interpret this, what do you think is going on on the cover of your own album? Oh, well, I wanted, I wanted because of the uh, Vegas theme, my idea was just like, oh, just make it look like a, like a casino, give it a casino vibe, but maybe like a dilapidated casino that's falling apart and is mm. haunted and stuff like that. And uh, so I like the gold foil, that print of the gold, that scan of gold foil because it's like its gaudiness is not really present because of the like texture. You know, it's not, it doesn't seem desirable to me. It's, but it's very textural and Hmm. rich in texture and stuff. So, does Las Vegas as a motif uh, live within the record beyond the song Vegas Nights? Yeah. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of ambient sound in that record. I think that there's some slot machines in there somewhere. Oh, okay. Oh, in, yeah, Paper Fog. In the left channel. Oh, there's, you panned it. There's a part with some slot machines. You can hear some coins falling. <laughs> are you are you also a fan of the Neil Young album, Tonight's the Night at All? Oh, my God. Huge fan. Because there's a song that reminds me in sort of the feel. It's a, what's, There's a song where the guitar just explodes. Uh, there's an extended guitar jam thing. Oh, and yeah. And it reminded me, at least sort of rhythmically or the pace of it, uh, reminded me a bit of Albuquerque by by Neil Young. And uh, anyway, I feel like all is I feel like some things are maybe more overt than others. But it's it's gratifying to me to hear that you you are a fan of that. Did that record inform any of your decision making here tonight's the night? Absolutely, I think. Oh, there you I go. Mean, okay. That's a huge. Yeah. That's a huge um, record for me. I think that the idea of assuming a character the way that Neil does on that record. And he, he, in order to address, you know, all these deeply personal, yeah, this grief that he's going through with his former bandmate passing away and, yeah. And, uh, his roadie passing away. He like just embodies this, you know, darkness and kind of uses that as a way to remove himself from that feeling from from that grief, but also like address it in the music. Hmm. So it, it's like a deeply personal record, but it's also not. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's, a, it's very it's a, narrative, antagoni- it's a narrative in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very antagonistic and a response to his harvest success and stuff. So okay, so that just the attitude, even the stance of that record kind of inspired you in aspects of, of of how you wanted to convey thoughts, ideas, sounds on Pale Horse Rider. Is that is that fair? 
Yeah, it was definitely an influence. I think him and yeah. Bob Dylan also, like yeah. the Rolling Thunder review, Bob Dylan, and just like his kind of antagonism. I think that I love it when these big artists have a tremendous sense of humor and can kind of poke fun at the, their own mythology. Oh my God, that Rolling Thunder review thing that Dylan and Scorsese made is is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. They're just both having so much fun making fun of us, the Dylan people, <laughs> who think everything has meaning and there's all this weirdness, and just making fake stories up about that. I mean, the live footage on that thing is unbelievable. And the sense of humor there as well. Like, it's pure, it's meant, it's sort of good-humored intensity. You know, the staring, the looking. I know he's sort of having a laugh, even though it's menacing. Like, it's, yeah, sorry, I don't mean to go on a Dylan I love Bob Dylan, so I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, I think I think uh I really value that approach. I think Neil probably more than Dylan because I think Dylan lacks a kind the kind of self-awareness that Neil Young has hmm. in terms of being able like Dylan is able to make fun of everybody, but he's not really able to make fun of himself and Neil can uh, and I, I see I, disagree. I I I must I must object your honor I now we're <laughs> back to the legalese I think from the earliest points when he realized what the media was and what they wanted him to be he because they can you imagine being you know in your early 20s and all your press conferences are like what are you saying this is great <laughs> like what do you mean by this like do you think you're the spokesman of a generation you've, you've seen that very famous uh, press conference he did in San Francisco, oh, yeah. where he's Absolutely. just like taking the piss, and like I think from that point on, he had no use for speaking uh, too se- self seriously. But he does. I I would agree that he carries himself with a certain self serious. Like, don't fuck with me. Like, you can't look at me. You can't talk to me. That kind of stuff. And that's a little silly. But I think he's protecting himself after just decades and decades of people wanting stuff from him. And, uh, you know, any little piece of him that they can go and tell everyone about. Anyway, my point is, I think he is actually quite self-aware. He maybe goes through phases where uh, the self-seriousness is unintentionally comical uh, or the earnestness. But and then Neil's the same, like Neil's prickly, a lot of jokes. I I talked to Jim Jarmusch uh, a few months ago on the occasion of Neil Young's uh, birthday. And he Uh he told me this amazing story about they went to Cannes to promote Dead Man. And when they got there, it was Neil and Jim and whoever else. And the people there said, do you want to do some press? Do you want to talk to the media? And Jim said, ah, oh, I hate talking about my movies. Uh, but if I have to, I will. And they said, Neil, you want to go? You want to do it? And he went, no, I don't want to speak. I don't want to talk to anyone. But I want to attend every one of Jim's interviews. <laughs> and they were like, why? He's like, well, if anyone's wasting Jim's time, I want to tell them about it. So Jim tells me like it's Janet Maslin, all these like movie critics from the Newsweek and all the big newspapers are coming in. They're asking. So it's just Neil Young saying nothing and Jim Jarmusch sitting there. And so they're told just talk to Jim. And so the questions come and then every once in a while, Neil will lean forward and say, you're really wasting Jim's time with that one. <laughs> like, that's just funny. He's just a funny guy. Yeah, yeah. So I think he's funny. I think they're both funny. Uh, if I might say, sorry, I didn't mean to undercut what you're saying. Does that resonate with you? Am I? Do you think I'm out to lunch? No, 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 for sure. I I think Dylan is very funny, and I think that 
in a lot of ways he is always messing with his own mythology yeah. and always kind of uh part of it i think is is intense like self-preservation you know just trying to have a some semblance of a life like a normal life and then the other part i think he is deeply invested in i mean i think there's three parts that one is trying to keep his personal life sacred second is trying to fuck with everybody who thinks that he is that he walks on water or yeah. whatever. And then the th- yeah. third, I think, is him actually just buying into his own mythology. Yeah. It's sort of like Tom Waits or something. Yeah. Where, you know, like yeah. all these people where they do kind of believe their own, their own I, I mean, what do you, bullsh- you get, bullshit well, to Well, at the same time, I'm sure he's like whatever about most stuff, but you get a Nobel Prize, Presidential Medal of Freedom, Oscar Award, <laughs> Grammy Awards. Like at some point you're like, all right, I get it. You guys like me. Like I appreciate that. What I'm doing, you know, resonates, but I'm just a song and dance man, you know, like I, I just make my music, I play. Uh, anyway, this is a whole other kind of tangent, but I feel like these figures, Bob, Neil, Roger McGuinn, Graham Parsons, you know, the birds, I feel like they're all swimming mm-hmm. around on this beautiful record. And uh, as such, it really resonated with me for what that's worth. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to a lot of late era Dylan uh, like now era Dylan I was listening to The Tempest Oh man That's an angry one Some rough stuff You know Like some some. I mean it's It's challenging music <laughs> I think In that's, a way That's like I think tellingly That's The most bitter And like maybe Since Blood on the Tracks Just a really bitter Angry album At us Just angry at everything And then <laughs> Tellingly He takes a break To make the kind of Sinatra era records like he's like i got i can't do this <laughs> some right. he had, he, he kind of exercised something i think and then decided to spend you know three four records just singing other people's sort of uh film noiry kind of songs i i think of them as like dark in their own way but not as biting and and then i thought rough and rowdy ways was a nice uh middle ground between the two there's the bite of tempest but the kind of more uh Romantic, uh, I guess it's still biting. It's but it's just a little more romanticized stuff going on uh, that might have been, uh, you know, spawned from those Sinatra songs he was doing. Well, we're just getting into, oh, yeah. we're getting into Dylan scholarship here, and I, I hope you don't feel like this is a waste of time. But I I think about him and his stuff a lot, and uh, I try I spend a lot of time with the records. Is this is this coming through to you? Do you feel like I I, I maybe have a problem, a Bob Dylan problem? <laughs> I mean, I think I have a Bob Dylan problem. So, you know, well, he's, that, he's yeah. he haunts he haunts the the spirit of every wandering white middle class songwriter. Yeah, you know who who is trying to you know who's in their late twenties, early thirties, trying to make something of themselves and also like make sense of the musical landscape of what's happening, what it, what is right now, and. And uh, I think that the further you get from the 60s Dylan, like the mid-60s Dylan, like the whatever, his his golden period, which I would argue is his worst period. I, my, uh, my favorite records are Time Out of Mind and Love and Theft, frankly. Uh, wow, okay. So the, when, I, when people ask me about my favorite, and then it's like John Wesley Harding. I appreciate mm-hmm. the ambition of all that other, the, the stuff that preceded 
you know, that mid 60s period you're talking about. And it's like now that, you know, once they start uh, doling out more Rolling Thunder stuff or you find it yourself, you're like, holy shit, this was the greatest live sound he ever had on some level. Like, what a crazy sound that was. Because we made such yeah. a big deal about the 66 sound with the, the members of the band. But then right. you get to the Rolling Thunder, you're like, no, that's a crazy sound. Like, that's a punk rock sound. Like, that is weird. Uh, and then, yeah, but I've seen him like 70 times since 1998 or something. And Really? Yeah, I, I like him. I think uh, if, you ha- <laughs> if you have Bob Dylan in your midst or a figure like him and you have the chance to go see him, uh, and and delve into his his work, you do it. And I, I mean, I feel like his worst periods, if you will, which everyone has their phases. But like, I think the '80s were tough for him in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. The way he was singing, uh, where his focus was. Uh, but there's still some virtue in all of that stuff. Anyway, yeah, I'm I'm kind of all in on it. Like, I might have fallen for something. Uh, maybe I mean. It, it's uh i but i'm in i read everything i've written about everything they his camp knows who i am uh you know they've blurred me on the records like it's weird i have this weird connection <laughs> to bob dylan that i've just through some just fandom and force of will i'm i feel part of it and uh i love him like i love going to see him i think it's always you want to be surprised by something remember there was that period where everyone was like we're going to play our album in order on tour or at the show. And I was like, why would you do that? Like, why? I, I, I've gone to come some of them and I'm like, all right, I find it distracting. Oh yeah, they're playing this song. That means the next, I know what the next song is. Like, I, I it's right, just very right. like out of the, I don't feel in the moment because I'm just thinking about the sequence of an archive recording, you know, whatever they did for an album. Whereas Dylan blew my, like, I'm like, this is great. I like every arrangement. Every time I see a song, it's different. And it's not because they don't know what they're doing. It's because they really know what they're doing. Like, it's more complicated or whatever. It's not because they can't pull it off or something. It's like, no, the song that I recorded on that day was the song the way it was on that day. The song lives on. And every time I play it live, it can be different. That's liberating. That's great. That, to me, is punk. You know? like <laughs> So, anyway. I'm See? You've got me on a, ty- a Bob Dylan tirade here. Does any of that make sense to you? Does that, do you feel that? No, no, of yeah. course, of course. I mean, I think that Bob Dylan's whole, like his, the way that he treats music is that he's trying to preserve something that is sacred to him about the music and that has nothing to do with the production yeah. or the instrumentation or the arrangement. It's something about him as a person. It's also something that is completely outside of him. That is just his interest and curiosity in music and people and uh, humanity mm-hmm. and what it really means to be a part of an American tradition or a tradi- like a cultural tradition of writing music for a living and being celebrated and doing that. And what I think the way that he is kind of interpreted that is like he he ha- he sees it as a responsibility, like which is why he goes and does these Sinatra records because he's trying to preserve these songs for perhaps like what what he might perceive as like a loss of quality if they are only regarded as Sinatra songs or something. Yeah. 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 I think, 
You know, it's interesting you bring it up and uh, bring that aspect of his work up because speaking of people who I think are iconic and enigmatic and are also uh, working in service of songs, uh, you worked with Bonnie Prince Billy and Bill Callahan on uh, one of their songs from this uh, sort of, uh, is it, do we call it a cover series? What do you, How do you describe this series? Yeah, it's a cover Cover, it's a cover series. Collaborative I, I, cover thing. <laughs> I'm careful with Will, and when I say cover, I want to be careful because I had a, lot, a discussion with him once that really opened my eyes to something. Because uh-huh. I asked him, you know, he put out one of the records he put out, he puts out every once in a while where he's doing versions of his songs, his own songs, like he re- mm-hmm. redoes them, and I put it to him that way, and he very, very fascinatingly was like, no, that's not the, it's not, it's a whole other song. It's from a different time. It's from a different plane. It's like, what? What do you mean, Will? What are you talking about? And and then he explained it to me, and now I'm kind of, I'm into that. I'm into that idea that just because you're doing a cover of something, it's only a cover of something if you think it only exists in your own universe that you are familiar with, but it could be from another universe. Am I getting too trippy on you? I know I talked about psychedelic no. country music earlier. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, what, you, what song are you on? Do you remember... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, it. Uh, I was. I mean, I was very honored to be invited to put together a track for Bill and Will, uh, as a huge fan of, of both of them. But the song was "Night Rider's Lament," popularized by Jerry Jeff Walker, mm-hmm. who I uh, admittedly was not that familiar with at the time of putting the track together. Uh, and since then I've been able to listen to more and he recently passed which yeah. like right before the song was released mm. but uh, yeah I mean it was a f- interesting collaboration because I just they they didn't give me any direction I got no direction I didn't even yeah. talk to them I talked to Dan Koretsky at Drag City who left me as much in the dark as possible like a Wait, you do know. you do you know Bill and Will at all? Like, have you met them? Uh, I've never met them. Oh, you've never even <laughs> met them? Okay, this is a Drag City sort of invite was, you received. It was I a, see. It was a Drag City blind date collab, and uh, I think it turned out great. I'm very, very happy with it. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, and that's very fascinating that it's... I, I viewed this as a Drag City endeavor, for various reasons. I mean, most of the collaborators, if not all of them, I believe, have some sort of Drag City connection. So there's that. And it seemed like a very thoughtful and yet fun way to create a little social social time. Because I, I think all most of this was done by social distancing protocols. Like you didn't, you've never even spoken to them before in your life. You were given little direction. You created something, sent it along, and then they figured it out. Uh, like figured out how to apply the uh, the lyrics and the vocals to it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, it's it's weird, but is it was did that feel? I know you're honored. It's kind of a love. <laughs> it's a lovely gesture, isn't it? To kind of try to stretch out across the world and the country and find collaborators for a song like this. And the fact that it's a cover uh, is both gives you structure, but it sounds like you could have done whatever you wanted. Is that right? I did, but I didn't really want to do much, you know. I I wanted it. 
I didn't. I mean, I have a lot of equipment and stuff. I could definitely treat have. Tr- I could have treated things a lot more differently. But as a huge fan of both of their voices and their and their massive voices, you know. Yeah. I wanted. I I just wanted to kind of preserve that and the song and leave as much space as possible for the words and keep the arrangement really s- sparse. Well, um, yeah. But I think I think the series, you know, in talking about this, like Will's attitude or Will's thoughts about, you know, how he he constructs his um, records, where he takes on his own songs yeah. and, and revisits old material and then does them again. I mean, it, it. I do feel like they chose songs that could be treated that way. In some instances, I think the covers they chose it and the and the artists that were uh constructing the tracks it's almost like what can this song withstand and still be a song yeah yeah and i really also like that as an idea as in a way of approaching you know other people's material is there's you know the really light you know sinatra or even willie nelson or you know the way that they approach covers which is like just make it timeless it's all kind of treated the same way yeah and then this was all over the place because of the amount of artists that were taking on the material. Yeah, just two real uh, iconic and wise singers and songwriters really uh, making, and, and all, all of you who collaborated, like, yeah, just totally making it, making these songs their own fresh thing, like this Odeed in Denver that they did, or... Uh, obviously, the wild kindness was fantastic, and "Wish You Were Gay," the Billie Eilish song. You know, my my <laughs> whole family loves that version of the song. We we talk about it sometimes. It's really fun. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's fun and humor in it as well. And uh, anyway, I wanted to get to that too. So, uh, Corey, I, this is this was fun. I I, I want to ask you what's next for you. Like, do you have any possible plans at this point? Like, what what's what what is your plan for making music or playing or performing? Uh, What's going on? Oh, I mean, I'm still waiting <laughs> for. I I mean, there's some stuff on the horizon. I can't. I don't really want to spill the beans about quite yet. Okay, but there's there's some stuff in the works. There's hopefully some touring for Pale Horse Rider in in the works. And in the meantime, I'm just doing what I always do, which is work on music every day and work on lyrics every day, putting my feelers out and trying to figure out what, what, you know, giving myself the time to figure out the next move, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you're in the same boat as a lot of people. So uh, I just want to confirm that. Some people are like, well, actually, I'm doing a, a live streaming tour and uh, coming to a city. I, you know, people have all sorts of things. So I just wanted to oh, check okay. in. Well, I no, see. I don't know. I, I was kind of joking. I don't know. Do you have actually plans like that? Do you have any? I do. I do. We're, oh, we're doing a, a streaming series of, of live streams and covers that will be going live starting April 2nd and have reoccurring episodes. There will be episodes. I think there's four oh. episodes. And it's called Limited Hangout after the track Limited mm-hmm. Hangout on my record. And uh, yeah, it's a little it's a little wild. We kind of took the format of the live stream and uh, did something that maybe you're not supposed to do with it. <laughs> kind of perverted it. Oh, um, yeah. 
it's it's a lot. <laughs> Everything you're the way you're describing it feels very Vegas. Perverted, a lot. Yeah, yeah. So lots, of lights, lights, lots, lots of lights. Lots of lights. I mean, okay. we're thinking about I mean, we're thinking about, you know, retention. We're trying to keep the eyes on the prize, and the prize is the stream. So <laughs> you get you get more views, you know, and you keep you get keep people from clicking out. You gotta have a lot of different kinds of stuff. You have to have a variety. So you could yeah. say it's a kind of variety show. Oh, okay. Um, now I'm getting a sense of where this is going, and I like it. it sounds really fun. That's great. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Tune okay. in. Tune. All right, we will. <laughs> April second. I think we will. Now the record Pale Horse Rider is available via Drag City, and people can learn more about that at dragcity.com. Is there anywhere else online that you'd like to direct people in terms of your presence or, or anything like that? Oh well, there's uh, my Bandcamp, which is also through drag city but i think it's just Corey hansen at Bandcamp or whatever. yeah yeah okay you've got a, you've got your own band camp okay is that it <laughs> are you on socials are you do you do anything else oh yeah i'm on instagram i have an instagram i don't even know what my username is but it's <laughs> Corey hansen my name you search that i have a blue check now so you should be able to figure out which one is the authentic Corey Hansen account. Okay. Out of the many out of the many fakes. Okay. Sounds good. That's great. Okay, so we'll follow you on Instagram and all that stuff. And then dragcity.com <laughs> and your bandcamp. Uh if there's a song from Pale Horse Rider that we can go out on right now, would you mind choosing one? And if so, can you tell us why you chose it? I would say go out on Limited Hangout. I like the lyrics in that one. I'm I'm proud of my lyrics in that one. What 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 is there something striking about what you've said that you can highlight for us? Well, I wrote it using this process that was given to me as ad- writing advice from David Berman actually. Oh. And which I know you're a big fan. Yeah, David was I, yeah, that's right. David is is very important to me still. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh same with me. I'm a huge yeah. Silver Juice fan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he gave me some good advice about writing where he just said, write 20 lines a day every day, like once a day. Just write 20 lines and don't think about what you're writing and don't force it, you know, and don't edit anything you're doing. And then take those lines, at a, you know, at way later when you've amassed, you know, this large amount of lines and then you can just start selecting all your favorites. Hmm. And then those you can sort of weave into songs. And uh, it was really practical advice, like really simple. And this is like what we're talking with the bowling, you know, analogy, <laughs> uh, which which is like, you know, raising, you know, you, you, you work out those same muscles. You, you do that stuff habitually and then you start to raise your your baseline for what you can achieve and you start to learn things about like i just started to be able to pick up on my own instincts about writing and things that i couldn't really make sense of before huh of like why is this working now why is this not working now why is this line a problem why do i like this line more than this line etc and then more than that it's like you just have all this i just had all this material to problem solve with or like to switch things out and uh he yeah he he said they're kind of like 
he said every line is like a a tweet or a meme or something. It's like, you know, you can kind of put them together and like they, uh, what he sort of, he says you don't do, it's not like cut up or anything. It's not novel like that. Like it's a way of just figuring out your own personality with writing or that's very you know by catch, yeah, inter- catching yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you have to fight the compulsion as you're writing twenty lines to make them adhere to a rhyme structure or meter? Like, do you know you're possibly you know doing this to write a song or a poem at some point, or do you just write freely? I try to write as freely as possible. I mean, I mean, I still like my concentration does you know go in that in certain directions you know towards rhyming or you know or like following lines you know and and trying to narrativize or you know doing all these things but eventually when you have all when I had all that writing and I could just look at it all as one big mass then it starts to become less about what is rhyming with what and just which lines are really speaking to me and which lines are are funny or which lines are you know emotionally resonating with me and then writing just got to be really fun and fast yeah yeah well that's wait a minute to circle back this song limited hangout is derived from that exercise technique or does it relate to david in any other way um yeah i mean it definitely relates to david uh, David was definitely, I think, a huge part of this record for me. When he passed oh, okay. it, it was like a pretty... I didn't know him very well at all, but just being a part of Drag City at that time and being very close with a lot of the people that worked there, it was you know a really intense time. Yeah. In an already very intense year. So his... Uh, you know... Sp- spirit his specter whatever you know his his stuff just felt like really important to the way that i was thinking of the record like and i I mean i basically just had you know a copy of actual air and put all of his records on my phone and yeah you know was like i think he passed away the day that i flew to europe Mm. and it and uh, to go on tour with wand and then i just ended up just being sort of really puzzled by like why <laughs> why did this happen things were going so well yeah and uh and really feeling for all my friends who were very close with him uh yeah. and friends that were going to go on tour with him at that time and uh yeah and woods and um and uh yeah 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 that uh yeah it's the worst i don't know i i don't know what to say i didn't know him very well but he we became friendly and he reached out to me and uh i miss him very much like just the fact that he reached out to me and i mean we became friendly yeah we would exchange emails and messages and and it was kind of surreal to me because he was just such a huge figure in my life for as long as i can remember in some ways and uh to your point yeah he was just about to go on tour Anyway, I don't want to. Yeah, it's that's nice to hear. I mean, the, I guess the when you're grieving, uh, you reciprocate, and uh, and you uh, 
you commiserate, I suppose, as well. So I, mm-hmm. as a fan and someone who got to know him a little bit, I'm, I appreciate that he meant something to you and that um, he's part of this record in a way that I didn't really catch before. Um, so I, I'm happy to play the song and uh, <laughs> uh, let's do it. Yeah, this is Limited Hangout by Corey Hansen from the uh, wonderful new album, Pale Horse Rider. And uh, Corey, uh, we've never met. We've never spoken before. I had a really lovely time. I hope you did too. And I wish you the best luck with everything in the future. Yeah, thanks, Vish. Uh, This was great. Thanks for having me.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I hope you enjoyed that. I did, and I'd like to once again thank Corey Hansen for appearing on this, the 608th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and uh, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to the show. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content. And uh, also, if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, please just message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. Again, those uh, Patreon donations are the primary manner in which this show receives any kind of you know, financial compensation, remuneration, whatever the word is, money. We, that's the way we get the money. So again, if you'd like to give us some money, please go to patreon.com slash creative control and contribute whatever you can. Uh, thanks again to live at masseyhall.com where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists and also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie. He's a, a lovely man who lends me some music for this particular show, and you can learn more about Jim at, at his website, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Corey Hansen. I, I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, he seems like a lovely uh, person. I've never uh, spoken to him before, but uh, I really love his new album, and I, I like Wand. And so I like Drag City. It all just made sense. And he told some uh, some stories there, and it was good. I enjoyed it very much. So thank you for listening to this episode with Corey Hansen. Uh, also, thank you for potentially subscribing to the podcast and maybe telling your friends about it, spreading the word about it if you like it. Maybe they'll like it too. Uh, all of that means a lot to me, and it helps. It helps the show a lot. So thank you very much. I will talk to you soon. Stay well. Bye for now. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 